This evening we're considering Abraham's covenant with Abimelech. Abraham's covenant with Abimelech, Genesis chapter 21, verse 22 to the end of the chapter, verse 34. I wonder, when was the last time a king visited you and entered into a covenant relationship or treaty with you? Has that ever happened? I I can't imagine it has. Not an earthly king anyway. But more about that later. This evening we'll be looking at a passage of scripture that tells us about Abimelech, king of the Philistine region of Gerar, visiting Abraham and making a covenant with him. The last time we considered those two together, you you may remember, it was in Genesis chapter 20 and there was certainly no talk of either of them making a covenant or making a covenant together. You may recall that Abraham had departed from Hebron after the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He travelled to Gerar where, not for the first time, he hid the fact that Sarah was his wife. He just said that she is my sister. And actually, uh, Sarah was his half-sister, but clearly he was hiding the fact that Sarah was his wife. Abraham had already employed that little scheme over 20 years earlier in Egypt in order to protect himself from any man who might desire Sarah and then kill him, kill Abraham, in order to have Sarah for himself. Never mind the fact that in Egypt and then in Gerar, Sarah, who was fair to look at, she was a beautiful woman, she was placed at great risk of being seen as available to other men because as far as the other men knew, she wasn't married. So, in a sense, she was there for the taking, if you like. Also, it was a failure on Abraham's part to protect his wife and place his trust in God to look after him and his wife Sarah. Anyway, in Gerar, Abimelech took Sarah to his palace and God intervened before anything happened. We can see what happened back then. Uh, Look at Genesis chapter 20, verses 3 through to 7. I'm I'm doing this recap because it will give you some idea of how uh, Abimelech, king of Gerar, his relationship with Abraham started, and it wasn't the best start. Okay, Genesis chapter 20, verse 3 to 7. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister, and she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. 
Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. So even then, Abimelech, he he didn't touch her and in the integrity of his heart and innocency of of his hands, he took Sarah. But even that integrity, that was by the grace of God. God who was looking after Sarah at this time. Verse 7, Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee, and thou shalt live. And if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. So that's how things, the relationship started there. It wasn't a good start, was it? Needless, Needless to say that Abimelech, restored Sarah to Abraham without having done anything untoward or inappropriate to her. Even so, Abimelech had some words of rebuke for Abraham as can be seen in chapter 20 and verse 10. I think you can uh, find some words of rebuke there, verse 10. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What sawest thou that thou hast done this thing? Not only did Abimelech restore to Abraham his wife Sarah, he also gave him sheep, oxen, men servants, and said to him, My land is before thee, dwell where it pleaseth thee. As such, I would say that it's entirely reasonable to assume that even though that pagan Philistine king had just been deceived by Abraham, He had no desire to make an enemy of a man whose God was able to come to him in a dream by night and say to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which (coughs) thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet. You wouldn't want to make an enemy of a man whose God comes to you in a dream and says words like that to you. Then in the next chapter, we saw much rejoicing. When we got to chapter 21, we saw much rejoicing with the birth of Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac. And after Isaac was weaned, Abraham made a great feast. Coming to today's passage, we see in chapter 21, verse 22 and 23, And it came to pass at that time, that Abimelech and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Now therefore swear unto me, here by God, that thou wilt not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. There's obviously quite a few references to to what happened in chapter 20 when they when they first met. It may well have been that Abimelech and his chief captain, Phicol, were guests at the great feast that Abraham made. We're not told, but that, that's a possibility. Whatever the occasion for Abimelech's visit, It was a time for high-level diplomacy and the king sought to establish a peace treaty with a man whom he knew from when he took Sarah was not someone to be trifled with. 
Also, Abimelech may have been acquainted with Abraham's success in battle when uh, Abraham and his men defeated the four Canaanite kings. And he, he Abimelech, even though he was a pagan king, he would no doubt have seen that Abraham's God gave him the victory against those four Canaanite kings. As Abimelech said to Abraham in chapter 21 and verse 22, God is with thee in all that thou doest. As the Bible commentator H.C. Leupold said, this little incident shows forth clearly how influential and prominent a personage Abraham had become under Yahweh's blessing. Neighbouring kings were concerned about retaining his goodwill. He ranked on a par with the mighty men of his day. That's no exaggeration when you consider that in the promise of blessings that God had made to Abraham way back in chapter 12 when he brought him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, the Lord said to him, I will bless thee and make thy name great. And we see this happening. I will make thy name great. Certainly Abraham's name is great when you think of him now. How many years later? Three and a half thousand years later. Abraham's name is great in that the Lord Jesus Christ is his promised seed. And all who have been baptised into Jesus and are clothed in the righteousness of Christ as repentant sinners are Abraham's seed and heirs of God according to the promise of God. If you're a Christian in here, you are clothed in Christ, you're baptised in Christ who is himself the seed, the promised seed of Abraham, promised by God. So, certainly amongst Christian, the name of Abraham is great. But also the Lord made Abraham's name great amongst the kings of the earth in his time, as we see in our passage, uh, his relationship as it was establishing with Abimelech, the king of Gerar. Coming back to our passage, Abimelech was on a diplomatic mission and he sought to enter into a treaty with Abraham in which Abraham would undertake not to deceive him as he did when he hid the fact that Sarah was his wife. Also the king reminded Abraham of his kindness towards him, a kindness that can be seen in all that he had already given to Abraham However, before any covenant could be made, there was a matter that needed to be dealt with. Look again at verse 25 in Genesis 21. And Abraham reproved Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken. That was no small matter. As has been said by one of the commentators, the ownership of wells in Palestine was as jealously guarded as the possession of a mine in our own land. That that supply of water was not a public supply, it was private. According to verse 30, Abraham is the one who dug it, or 
his men had dug it and to deprive him of that well and the water that it provided would have been more serious than than taking a gold mine from someone. That's how the, the well and the water that it provided was precious and necessary in order to sustain life. Once the matter of the well that Abimelech's servants had violently taken was dealt with, it was time to make a covenant. Look at verses 27 through to 30 again. And Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them unto Abimelech, and both of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. And Abimelech said unto Abraham, What mean these seven ewe lambs which thou hast set by themselves? And he said, For these seven ewe lambs shalt thou take of my hand, that they may be a witness unto me that I have digged this well. As well as Abraham giving Abimelech seven ewe lambs as a witness to the king that the well belonged to Abraham, Abraham also gave sheep and oxen for the making of the covenant. As for why Abraham gave animals, perhaps I should explain that one to you. Where it says that both of them made a covenant in at the end of verse 27, they made a covenant, that word made means cut. They cut a covenant. In other words, they cut the animals in pieces and they passed between the cut pieces in token of the covenant that they entered into with each other. And that signified that whoever broke the covenant deserved to be cut in pieces as those creatures had been cut in pieces. Essentially, what we have in chapter 21 with a covenant being made or cut between a Philistine king and Abraham who was a sojourner in the land, he was there temporarily, is an undertaking that they would deal openly honestly and fairly with each other. That covenant was made despite the fact that back in chapter 15, now now, think about this, the covenant that was cut between Abraham and Abimelech was cut or made despite the fact that in chapter 15 the Lord himself cut a covenant with Abraham and said to him, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaims, the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. In other words, the whole area of Palestine, that whole region of the Lord was promising to Abraham's seed. That was in back in chapter 15. With that in mind, the question might be asked, since Abraham knew that the whole land of Canaan had been promised to his descendants by God, was it right for him to make a covenant with someone who was king of one little part of that promised land? 
Abraham knowing full well that one day that land would go to his descendants. And there he was making a covenant with Abimelech. In fact, about 450 years later, when the tribes of Israel received their inheritance, Beersheba was given to the tribe of Simeon. That is of particular interest when you consider that according to verse 32 in Genesis chapter 21, Abraham and Abimelech, they actually made their covenant in Beersheba. So where they made their covenant, cut their covenant, that piece of land was given to the tribe of Simeon 450 years later, according to the promise of God. When I, when, sorry, when Abimelech cut his covenant with Abraham, I don't suppose he imagined that one day, not only his, his own land, but all the land of Canaan would belong to Abraham's descendants. Anyway, there was no deception on Abraham's part when he made that covenant with the king. And I say that because even though all that land was destined to be given by the Lord to Abraham's descendants, and Abraham knew that, he was nevertheless nothing more than a sojourner in the land. He was there temporarily. So much so that when his dear wife Sarah died, he had nowhere of his own to bury his wife. Consequently, he bought a burying place for her. He didn't even have his own place to to bury his wife. He had nothing of his own. He was living in tents and he was there as a pilgrim and a stranger. Abraham was nothing more than a sojourner in the land of promise where, as I say, he lived as a stranger, he lived as a pilgrim, he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He desired a better country, that is, a heavenly country. It's reasonable to say that leaders respected Abraham, they feared him, or rather, they feared the God of Abraham. We've seen that to be the case with Abimelech, who in the providence of God made a covenant with Abraham, having said to him, God is with thee in all that thou doest. Some of the, some of the, some people have suggested that by this time Abimelech was himself a believer. I I don't think we need to, to go that far with it. He could clearly see something. He, he, you know, he was able to, 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 to see that the God of Abraham, as I say, could come to him in his dreams and, and threaten him with death. More broadly, God is with all his people. As he was with Abraham, he is with all his people in all that they do. As the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ has said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world the very last thing we read in Matthew's Gospel. And praise God for that, all of you who are trusting in Jesus as your Saviour from sin. And the reality is that there is never a time when the God of your salvation is not with you. God the Holy Spirit is with you. You are sealed with 
the Holy Spirit. He is the earnest, the deposit, the guarantee of your heavenly inheritance. Uh, I was saying it earlier, wasn't I, in the, in my, in the prayer. It's a wonderful thing. You've got a hope of glory. That's because you have the Holy Spirit. And, uh, He gives you that, that certain hope having applied the truth of the gospel and of your personal salvation, having applied that glorious truth to your heart. And uh, you have a real hope, a 100% certain hope of one day being with Jesus. How wonderful that is. And that in itself is a testimony that God is with you. The fact that you have that hope You experience that hope each and every day. It's something that this world knows nothing about, but isn't it so real and so wonderful to have God with you and in you, wherever you are, whatever you do. You can most certainly say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Your good shepherd, in whose hand you are eternally safe and secure, he keeps you from falling, and he will finish the work that he has begun in you. Still thinking about how God was with Abraham in his dealings with the Philistine king, John Knox who led the Protestant Reformation in Scotland, was another man whom God was with in his dealings with monarchs. wasn't just Abraham. John Knox is someone as well who had that experience. Apparently, Mary, Queen of Scots, said the following about Knox. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than an army of 10,000 men. Be that as it may, it does not follow that God being with you in all that you do means that you will most certainly find favour with men and even the rulers of the world and that they will fear you or, or, or fear the God who is with you. It doesn't always work that way, does it? It depends on God's will and it depends on his purpose for you. Abraham was a prophet of God. But so too was John the Baptist, a prophet of God. However, when John the Baptist reproved King Herod for marrying his brother's wife, what happened to him? He was imprisoned and he was beheaded. Herod most certainly did not cut a covenant with John the Baptist. In fact, many of the prophets of God were treated shamefully and they were put to death And so too were some of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ put to death. For example, the apostle James, who was the brother of the apostle John, he was put to death with the sword. In other words, it would seem that he too was beheaded. Ultimately, we can consider the Prince of Glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the eternal Son of God. When he became flesh, when he pitched his tent and he sojourned in this dark world of sin, he was despised. He was rejected by men. 
He came unto his own, the Jews, his own received him not. As an infant, Jesus was taken to Egypt because King Herod wanted him dead. Again, there was no question of a covenant being cut. Finally, after living in sinless obedience to God, the Lord Jesus Christ, he was nailed to a cross and lifted up to die on the orders of the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate. But that was God's will for his only begotten son. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and to lay upon him the iniquity of all who would ever trust in him. Jesus most certainly didn't curry favour with the rulers of this world. And what can be seen at the cross is God's covenant with man being cut and ratified when the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was broken and when his blood was shed. When you consider the covenant that was made between Abimelech and Abraham, it's open to, to debate who was the uh, who was the senior partner in that covenant. Was it Abimelech? After all, he was the king of uh, a Philistine city, the king of Gerar, or was it Abraham who had received the promises of God and whom God was with in all that he did? However, when it comes to the new covenant of which the Lord Jesus Christ is the mediator, all that his redeemed can do is be amazed and praise the Lord their God now and forevermore that they who are hell-deserving sinners have, in accordance with the terms of the new covenant, been washed in the blood of Jesus. They have been clothed with his righteousness. And God has said, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That's the covenant that God has made with his people. I will forgive their iniquity, I will remember their sins no more. He puts his spirit in us, the Holy Spirit. He gives us a new heart. But it's God all the way from start to end. Finally, dear, question, uh, dear Christian, you may, or may you, you may or may not court favour with people in high places. Again, it depends on God's good pleasure. It depends on his plan for you. But you can be sure that whatever happens, including those times when you are persecuted, you suffer shame for the name of Jesus, God is working out all things for your good and for his glory. And there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, his son. Like Abraham of old, you are a stranger and a pilgrim in the world, looking to the heavenly Jerusalem where the Lord Jesus Christ now is and where you will in God's perfect time be and where you will behold the glory of your great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.